welcome to First Incision, the podcast about preparing for the General Surgery Fellowship exam. I'm your host, Amanda Nikolic. So let's get started with our team timeout. Our patient today is the fellowship exam, which we've both just successfully passed. And we wanted to share with you guys all of our recollections and reflections on the whole process. But first off, congratulations, Ben, on successfully passing your exam. And you. So we just wanted to... I guess, reflect on the journey that was the monster of getting through fellowship and talk a little bit about each of the individual stages of preparation and actually sitting the exam and try to share as much information as we can because I think both of us found it a little bit difficult when we were first starting out and first trying to think about studying um, how to approach it and what to do. This is obviously our experience and everyone will be different. Mm. Um, so make sure that you ask around all the other people you know that have sat the exam and get a real um, breadth of experiences to decide what would be best for your preparation. So let's start off with our actual preparation and study for the exam. When I was reflecting on the exam, I felt like there were almost specific individual stages that I went through in the preparation process, which I didn't know that I was going to go through beforehand, but reflecting back, I can see that there really were these specific stages. So I think in general, there was the first couple of months where I was sort of figuring out what the fellowship exam actually was, what the components were, looking at the curriculum and getting my head around that and thinking about preparing a study group and how that was going to work. And that actually took a lot more time than I was expecting. Like I think probably two or three months before I really started to feel like I could actually settle into starting a study process. Would you say the same thing, Ben? Yeah, I think so. Yep, definitely a long uh, information gathering stage. And then there was about a year where we were just covering the curriculum and that was that real grind of learning topics over again that you might know about before, you've come across in your practice, Mm. a whole heap of things in the curriculum that I'd never come across before, like all the head and neck stuff and um, a lot of the vascular and a lot of the different um, pathophysiology and grading and classification systems and That was quite a long period, I think, and I found it really hard to keep the Mm. momentum going regularly through that period. Yes, particularly because we were a long way out from the exam, but still a lot of content to get through, and it was uh, hard to stay disciplined through that, I think. And we set up the study group so that we covered a module over about four or five weeks, depending on how big the module was. And we did schedule in a kind of lighter revision week at the end of that block, which in retrospect, I think, although it sort of blew out the time that it took us to cover the curriculum, I think was quite useful because if you had had a busy week at work or you just had a week where you weren't so motivated, for example, you had a bit of a chance to sort of catch up and feel like there was a little bit of a buffer there. I think to be clear as well, we should say that we started studying for the exam probably a lot earlier than most. We started thinking about it two years, (laughs) two years before we sat it. And I think that was good for me. And I think, you know, it seemed to work well for both of us. I think we studied in in a similar way kind of a slow burn, but uh, I know that's certainly not for everyone and most people don't start thinking about things that early. So 
you need to have some kind of idea as to how you best study. Yeah, definitely. I I know some people that are real crammers and really just smash themselves for six months. <laughs> but you and I, I think, yeah, that slow burn is a is a good description or a, a sort of a marathon approach rather than a sprint. Um, but everybody's different. And so then the next stage really was once the curriculum was finished, I felt like that was when I could really start doing previous questions and previous exams and start focusing on trying to essentially recall all of the information that you've studied and try to get it to a point where you can actually talk about it and think about it and remember things. And I found that took quite a few repetitions before it really started to stick. Yeah, it was uh, really a shift into consolidating knowledge and then integrating it into a form where you can recall it mentally uh, at short notice and you know consolidate all of these notes and resources into a form where you can use them on the fly to answer exam questions start focusing on exam technique yeah i found it really hard to start doing questions before i'd finished the curriculum yeah. because if you're getting asked questions about things you haven't covered yet you sort of just feel a bit panicked and it's not really useful study yeah. and when we started doing questions, I'm not sure how you felt, but most of them seemed completely overwhelming and very difficult to answer. And I started with an approach where I would do them essentially open book, not to time. And then as we progressed, you kind of getting more um, focusing on doing them to time and, and doing them without, without any resources available and more to exam conditions. Yeah, definitely. I found them really hard at the start. And I found that the more I practiced, the more I sort of got into the practice of starting with headings and then trying to fill in the blanks and then you'd realize what you didn't know because a lot of that stage was you've sort of covered all this knowledge but which bits of it do you not actually remember and the only way you can figure that Mm. out and what you need to cover again is to just go to tutes be asked questions practice written questions do bank after bank after bank of spot questions to figure out which ones you you don't remember everything for and then you just go over that again and then you don't remember it next time as you go over it again yeah. I got really sick of doing written questions, though, I must say. Oh, uh, yeah, terrible. <laughs> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, as we got closer and closer to that exam, we were doing more to time. I found it really useful to meet up with the study group and set an hour or two-hour timer and do the questions and then talk about them because yeah. doing them one after another for, you know, two hours is actually really exhausting. So having that time pressure with other people around was quite useful. Definitely. And then – The next stage was between the written and the clinical, which was a complete shift in the way of thinking, I guess. So you have all this knowledge, you you know more than you've ever known when you've done your written exam, and then shifting that to being available to you to be able to talk about, as well as we revised anatomy and some of the history and examination taking things, which was going to come up in in the clinical and anatomy exam which was a bit of a shift between the two exams as well. And uh, I guess we'll get into this a little bit later, but I really felt my knowledge was peaking for the written and we had seven weeks between our written and clinical and I found it difficult emotionally to ramp up again and also it felt difficult to maintain my knowledge at what I felt was my peak even over that that two-month period. It was a really long time between the exams. At times it felt like it was not long enough when you'd forgotten something again, but then, yeah, it was long enough to forget things, which made it really tough. That's right, yeah. 
So in terms of study group, that can be our next topic. Do you want to talk to us, Ben, about your study group approach and what things you found kind of worked and didn't work and what you found useful? So in terms of study group, obviously, Amanda, you and I studied together on Zoom and I also had a great group of local people in my city that uh, we studied with regularly. And I think I found that so helpful just having people that I was accountable to because um, with everything else going on in life, uh, putting time aside for study is often difficult and the last thing you feel like doing. So committing to doing some questions or a previous exam and then discussing it or or, sh- or swapping answers with other people in the study group was really good for keeping me on track. I think it was very helpful having a shared a study plan with my study group to ensure that we were covering the same things at the same time. And it worked well trying to keep our study discussions based around questions and cases rather than going through content because the expectation was that we would come to study group being familiar with the information and troubleshooting it together rather than hearing it for the first time. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Yeah, I think early on, both with you, Ben, and with my Melbourne study group, our approach was that study group should be time for talking practice because especially at the beginning, talking was really hard and answering questions out loud was really hard and you felt really stupid, but study group really is a safe place to start talking out loud and being forced to talk out loud. Yeah. And so the way we did it initially was we would cover certain topics in the week and each person would have to come up with a few spot questions based around those topics. And then in the study group, we would ask each other. And so it was putting everybody on the spot, trying to make sure that everyone had had covered the curriculum that you were supposed to cover. And then also to start practicing talking. And then if there was something the other person didn't understand, they could ask questions and you could sort of nut it out together. And then more towards the exam end of things, we had a bank of questions that we could go through and then it turned more into that, you know, short cases, long cases, anatomy, and specifically going through previous exams. Yeah, definitely. Study group is where, you know, you pick up so many uh, nice phrases and nice ways to structure things from your colleagues. Um, I learned a lot by listening to other people uh, and their approach and reflecting on that. And I found that, yeah, crucial. I am aware of a study group from the exam before me where they did cover the curriculum by teaching each other though. So they all had a different curriculum topic and um, taught it to the other people and they had a PowerPoint that they would then put into a shared drive so everybody had the notes and so they were sort of sharing the load of doing the investigating and um, looking up what actually needed to be known for each topic. So I think there are different ways of doing it but that obviously uh, was the way that we approached the study groups. So the next topic we were going to talk about is about tutorials in the lead up to the exam. Amanda, do you want to tell us about what tutorials you accessed to help with your preparation? So we didn't have a formal program at my hospital, so I helped to organise one where we had a surgeon each week and a couple of little topics that the trainees would present on and then we'd get feedback I found that really useful because just having access to the consultants to ask questions of, especially some of the things that you don't find in the textbook, like operative approaches or the little tips and tricks for operations or the little information about different nuances of management. Like I still remember one of the HPB surgeons talking about 
pancreatitis and cholangitis and how it's difficult to tell the difference and when you might do an ERCP. And that was the one of the questions I got asked in the exam. And I could still remember him talking through why that was difficult and, you know, from his own experience when he did and didn't do different things. And I just regurgitated that in the exam really because that sort of stuff you don't really get in the textbook. So I found that quite useful. On top of that, we don't have a statewide course in Victoria, but there are some really great state-based courses in Queensland and WA and New South Wales that are recorded on the GSA website as webcasts. And so I used to watch those when I was going to cover a topic that I hadn't heard of before or when I really didn't feel like reading a textbook anymore and just wanted somebody else to tell me about it. They're a little bit hard to search, but if you have the time to sort of trawl through and find a, a topic that's been covered on one of those to listen to, that's really useful. And I used to also listen to those on my commute. And then there's other courses that I accessed, like obviously the trainees days, and they're also recorded on the GSA webcasts and different conferences. And uh, especially for HPB Upper GI, there are a lot of courses run by um, Anne Scosa and the um, colleges themselves. So just basically tried to access as much as possible to get that sort of wide range of information from lots of different places. Yeah, I found the there was really, you know, more online content available than was almost able to be digested, I think. Uh, Anne Scoza and ANZ HPBA put on the online courses, as you said, which were very high yield. GSA uh, run a national online course, which for the most part, was uh, high quality uh, and very useful, although um, the small group sessions were often difficult to participate in because of COVID and tutors being away. Is that the fellowship exam course, prep course? The fellowship exam course, yes. So sometimes up to 20 people in a small group, so uh, not so small and difficult to to have practice. But um, even if I wasn't talking, I found it useful to listen to other people often and how they were answering. I guess for me in South Australia, we do have a state-based, some state-based courses. They're not recorded, but whatever exposure I could get to uh, practice talking and interacting with consultants around a topic and practice clinical questions with fellows that have been successful at passing the exam uh, was really useful. I also just bugged the fellow I was working with to ask me questions constantly. (laughs) And in the few months between the exams, I also just put a call out to lots of the fellows and consultants that I knew and asked them if they would mind giving up half an hour, an hour of their time. And a lot of them did. And especially with Zoom, it's much easier these days to do that. So I was really grateful for those people that really helped get me slick and ready for the exam. So Amanda, what do you think maybe your your top five resources for the exam preparation are what are your faves oh gosh that's so hard it's so so varied and so different you you could plug your own podcast I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well this is great podcast <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's some specific highlights that i think were really useful for topics that i wasn't that good with So for head and neck, I loved the open access atlas of otolaryngology head and neck operative surgery, uh, which is free and available online. 
I also uh, really liked the YouTube videos from Johan Fagan on the operative head and neck surgery. I found them extremely useful and um, a really good way to get my head around the anatomy, which they seem to love asking in the exam and came up in both of the exams. So for anatomy, I loved Jamison's book on general surgery, operative general surgery anatomy. And uh, there's also some really good podcasts by Robert Whittaker as well as Instant Anatomy. Those were real highlights for me. Apart from that, it was pretty varied. It was a combination of um, textbooks from Racks, finding uh, articles on PubMed or StatsPearls articles. If there was a StatsPearls article on something, it was absolute gold. And for surgery, I we used a pretty broad range of things like Kirk's, but I really liked operative dis- dictations in general and vascular surgery, which is just on the RACS website. That was really good. Yeah, that was excellent. Just for sort of thinking about how to structure talking about the operations and they had pitfalls on there and just what language to use around how to describe what you were actually doing. I think those are the things that jump out in my head at the moment. How about you, Ben? In the early stages when I was going through the curriculum, I used companion series as a framework for my study. And I think in general, that was a really good place to start for me. To expand on that, I found UpToDate invaluable for almost every topic. It's such an excellent reference. And if your hospital has a subscription to it, I highly recommend it. It's got um, everything from operative strategy to pathophysiology in there and and you know it's it's right so i uh, really lent on up to date i agree for anatomy i found jamison's really helpful and i really liked the instant anatomy book as well i didn't use lasts so much the curriculum would be the mvp <laughs> yeah i guess so <laughs> the curriculum statement yeah It's uh, boring and dry, but it's just a good thing to come back to, especially if you're not sure with a specific topic what they actually want you to know because if you dig hard enough, it's infinite information on topics and actually sort of trying to figure out what it is you need to know for each topic can be quite a challenge. I think at the beginning I overread and I wanted to learn every tiny little bit of information and the histopathology and everything. And as I went along, I found that it was easier to figure out what the important things were for each topic. And I think listening to other tutorials or consultants talk about things also helps you realize what the actual critical parts of a topic are that you need to know for the exam. And the more questions that you do, I think you come to understand more the depth of knowledge that's expected within the exam. Mm, Definitely. Which is why it's important to eventually just make the jump into starting to answer questions, I think. Yeah, so you get a framework for what it is that they're actually looking for. Yeah. Yeah. We did do a few questions early on that were specific to the topics that we'd covered, but we didn't keep that up that well. But I think especially early on, it sort of just gave us a bit more of a framework to know what to do. It's always good to have some podcasts and digital resources. Of course, I listen to your podcast almost every day. Um, Behind the Knife was great. The Melanoma Institute Australia have some really good podcasts on skin things. The St. Mark's podcast is excellent, although a little bit old. It's excellent about some perianal and uh, IBD-specific pathologies. 
for some of the medical topics, I just used to search that medical topic in the podcast thing and come across various podcasts like about hyponatremia or whatever the medical thing was we needed to cover. Because sometimes you just don't feel like reading a book anymore. <laughs> you just need somebody to give you the information passively. <laughs> So obviously this entire podcast has been about preparing for the fellowship exam. So we should talk a little bit about our experience of the exam and if there's anything other people might be able to take away from our retelling. I'm sure you'll get a lot of different retellings of everybody's different experiences that you talk to. Why don't we start with something easy? Let's talk about some of the practicalities of the exam. So, Ben, how did you structure your leave around the exams and why? And did you think it was the right thing to do in retrospect or would you have changed anything? Yeah, so I think it's important to put it into context that we studied for this exam like we would train for a marathon and having been diligent about our study, we didn't really feel the need to cram too much. So I was keen to max out my leave during this term whilst still having time for a holiday after the exam, hoping that I would pass. So uh, I took two weeks of leave before the written and one week of leave before the clinical. I think ultimately that was exactly what I needed. Two weeks doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're stressed and uh, cramming anyway uh, and doing multiple written exams per day, you kind of get overdoing that pretty quickly. So I wouldn't have wanted to have any more than two weeks, I think, for the sake of my sanity. And during that time, it was mostly about meeting up with my study group and I was aiming to do at least one written, one previous written exam a day and in the second week usually two uh, and go through that with my study group online and then that would inevitably generate a very long list of topics for me to reread over and revise in the evening. Yeah, the two weeks seemed like a really long time at the time. And because I found that because the curriculum was so broad, that I felt like what were the odds I was going to cover something that was going to come up in the written in that two weeks, like I couldn't cover all of the content. And so really, I did the same thing. I focused just on practicing the written's really practicing them to time yep. and trying to get a feel for doing an exam the whole way through because it is really exhausting mm. doing that. And so just getting used to that process and thinking about my kind of approach for the day and then also trying to take a little bit of time in the evenings to relax and to try to do other things just to make sure that I was mentally ready uh, for the day itself. So for the clinical exam, as I said, I took one week off before being in South Australia, I had to travel to Melbourne to sit the clinical. So uh, I had four days at home prior to travelling to Melbourne. I went to Melbourne on the Wednesday and then the exam was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So I just wanted to make sure that I was there with plenty of time so that nothing would go wrong. Did you find the travelling stressful or it was okay? Uh, no, all of my study group were on the same flight, so it was kind of like we were... <laughs> <laughs> going, on, going on holiday and uh, we all just wanted to go out to dinner and do fun things in Melbourne having not been able to travel for so long but uh, yeah instead we were holed up in our apartments but I just felt more comfortable being there with plenty of time. Mm. Did you bring any books with you? 
I brought most of my study. Mm -hmm. um, I had a very heavy suitcase. I didn't need most of it ultimately, but I brought all my flashcards and my written notes, my computer and a few key textbooks because, you know, if, if, I, was, if I needed to know something, I wanted to have it at, at hand. I also took just the one week off before the clinical and my reasoning in my head was that it's a clinical exam so it would be good to be at work and seeing patients and talking to my bosses and of course it was extremely busy at work and I didn't get much time to do that at all and I felt quite stressed that week before my week off but then on my week off before the exam same thing I felt like it was an extremely long time to be sitting at home yes. isolating because we didn't want to catch COVID and being uh worried and stressed about the exam. So I'm glad I didn't take any extra time before the clinical, but everyone will be different, I think. So shall we talk about the written exam? Yeah. We've talked a little bit about the specific preparation for the written and doing the practice questions. Is there anything you wanted to add to that? In the lead up to the written in the last few weeks, and particularly the two weeks beforehand, I found it really important to try and hone my written exam technique uh, by utilising certain frameworks that I could adapt to different questions to ensure that I put down a comprehensive, broad answer whilst keeping it as concise as possible. And I think you and I spent a lot of time practising this, putting kind of headings into, into the question uh, answer box and then expanding it with dot points afterwards and yeah trying to make sure that we put down as good an answer as we could in the shortest amount of time. Do you want to run through what the components of the two written exams actually are? Yeah so two two-hour written exams on the one day in Adelaide they were conducted at Clifton's which is a business centre venue um, so essentially just rooms with computers in them there were staff from the college there, but the invigilators were just staff from Clifton's. So in the morning was the spots exam, which was two hours and 25 spot questions. And then in the afternoon was the medium answer questions, which were eight of those in two hours. Yes, exactly. And so my approach for the spot exams, which was where there was 25 questions in two hours, and you also get 10 minutes of reading time, but they you're allowed to start writing within that 10 minutes. So you really have two hours and 10 minutes to do the whole exam. So my approach was I was trying to do six questions per half an hour, and that should have left me with one question to go in the last 10 minutes of the exam. And so I practiced to that time. And there's also a timer on your screen, which was a countdown timer that you could use to keep track of where you needed to be up to with the questions. How did you find the spot exam, Ben? So I found the whole day extraordinarily stressful. It was everything that... Everyone had told me it would be, but I still didn't expect it to be <laughs> to be like that. It was totally a race against the clock. And four minutes sounds like plenty of time, but it really runs, a, I found it ran away from me. Uh, and I'd got a great tip to keep to time from another colleague who sat previously. And so once I'd sat down at the computer before I clicked start, because it's an individually timing, timed exam, I took about 20 seconds to write down all the question numbers and uh, work out my timing before I actually 
started the exam and I found that really useful. I just did that on the scrap paper and that way I could keep track of if I was on track and mark down any questions that I needed to come back to. I had always felt during my practice that I had plenty of time to answer spot questions and I found that that was not the case on the day. Uh, I don't know how you felt, Amanda. I had the exact same experience. I was doing spot questions and finishing them in three minutes thinking, oh, these are so easy and at the time I have so much time and this is going to be awesome. It's not going to be a problem. And I think I fell behind quite early on because the first few questions were really involved. Mm. And I think I was lucky some of the later questions weren't so involved. And I spent the whole time feeling really stressed and racing to try to make up those few minutes. And even though we'd planned to have 10 minutes spare, I finished the last question with about 20 seconds to go. I didn't have any opportunity to go back and look at questions again. And that had been my approach because I found in the practice exams that you sort of lose your train of thought and it takes quite a lot of time to regain your train of thought if you try to go back to a question. I felt like that would be lost time. So I tried to complete the question as completely as I could and move on and ultimately I passed. I don't know whether I passed by the hair's breadth or whether I um, I passed well, but uh, it worked for me. The examiners I've spoken to have always stressed that if you don't have anything down for a question, that question is a fail and failing spot questions by not putting anything down uh, really sets you behind, I think, for the exam overall. So the goal, from what I gather, has to be to finish the exam to give yourself the best chance. So I think it's really important to keep to time. Mm. And I also found, because I felt so rushed, reading the whole question was really difficult. Mm. And then a lot of them would have all this completely useless information, like, an entire stem about a lady diagnosed with a thyroid cancer and going into all of her past history. And then the question was just about indications for central neck dissection, for example. Yes. And so I got into the habit of sort of being like, oh, well, this isn't relevant and trying to sort of rush through the questions. And I remember one question about an adrenal gland and it said, what are the indications for adrenalectomy? And I wrote out the list of, you know, more than four centimetres functional, potentially malignant. And then just as I was about to click to the next question, I realized there was a few more words after that and said, what are the indications for adrenalectomy in metastatic disease, which is a completely mm. different thing. And I had to change my answer. And I don't know what the answer is to that because you're so pressured <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you're just trying to, to think and write and read all at the same time. But I guess just taking that extra one second to make sure you've actually read the whole sentence would probably be something I, I learned yeah. from the exam. Ultimately, I wasted time rewriting that question. Yeah. So after the, after the spots finished, I felt physically sick uh, and I've never felt like that after, after an exam before. So... Took, to, took some time. I think there was about an hour and a half for lunch before we had to be back for the longer writtens. Yeah. My approach in that time was I already had somewhere listed. I knew it was close by and I could just grab something easy like a sandwich. And then we were lucky. It was quite a nice day in Melbourne. So I went back to the exam place and I did a little meditation that I had just on an app where I sort of did some mindfulness and cleared the original first exam out of my mind and told myself I just had to reset and prepare for the next one because, you know, you don't really know how you've gone. You get this feeling, you focus on, you know, you relive, relive all the questions you think you got wrong and I just had to sort of stop that and yeah. say, right, I can't change that now and move on with the next exam. Yeah. So the long written exam, so eight 
questions, two hours and 10 minutes. So it's about 15 minutes a question. And similarly, in the practice, I felt like there was lots of time to answer these questions and similar questions kept coming up and you sort of get a bit of a a flow or a groove to the way that you answer those questions in practice. But in the actual exam, they were quite different than what we had been practicing. And I felt the same. I felt like I had very little time, um, maybe not as rushed as the Mm. spot exam yeah and we had a few curveballs that threw me a little bit so i had to spend some time actually thinking about what frailty was and uh, what pre-hospital multi-trauma triage systems that there are and so that sort of made me slow down a little bit which i think was good so um it really is about depth of knowledge in in this exam they're only going to ask you eight questions and you just need to have a structure really to to write the answers The other thing I'll say about the written is that there's a practice exam that you can do online. It's through the RACS website. If you go to fellowship exam, you can follow through the different prompts to get to a practice exam. And that's the actual system that they use in the exam. And it's really good to go through that beforehand. I think we did a few, we did the two practice exams, but then I also did other exams within that system because it's not the same rules as in Microsoft Word, for example. You you can't just press a, a dash button to make a dot point. You have to actually choose dot point. Some of the commands don't work. And you have to actually flick through this individual boxes for each subpart of the question. And so just getting familiar with that system beforehand um, just takes that sort of anxiety or away and um, lets you know how to use it before you actually get to the exam. The other thing to say is, look, it may be overkill, but I bought a PC, an $8 PC keyboard from Officeworks to practice typing on because uh, their computers at these places are very different to to max and uh i found that helpful as well very uh noble of you ben i didn't quite go that far but um, (laughs) i think it's just doing the things that you can control to make you feel like you're as prepared as possible and that Mm. little things like how do i make a dot point isn't what you're thinking about on the day you're thinking about getting down the information and the answer that is going to get you the points and get you through so i don't know what you did after the written exam we went for a drink and then um Tried to tried to reset and move on. I took I took a few days off after the written, but I found it very easy to stop studying and didn't want to to slip. So I think I after about three days, I moved my attention to the next exam. And as we've talked about, it's really hard to keep that momentum going for another two months <laughs> when you've really ramped up for the last few weeks and you feel like you're at the top of your game. You really have to keep that momentum going. But yeah, I also took a few days off just to rest and recuperate before I felt like getting back into it. And I found it really hard to get motivated again after that uh, written exam. And I was also motivated a little bit by fear, I think, in the end, because it was a bit unexpected, our exam. There was a lot of really mm. subspecialty fringe questions, and it made me quite concerned about what they might ask us in the in the Viva, which in the end, I think, was a bit unfounded. But at least I was motivated by something to get back studying again. Yeah, yep. So tell us about your preparation for the clinical exam. So really in between the two exams, I just did lots and lots of talking. I asked everyone I knew to give me tutes. I organized as many study groups and chats with people as I could. I did a lot of practicing out loud and recording myself answering questions 
and answering questions to time. So we had some recalls of some previous exams that we went through together um, and I did a lot of recording myself and listening back and thinking, was that structured? How did I sound? What could I have done differently? And just practicing that delivery, I think, of the of the answers and getting other people to listen to me do that as much as possible and taking on board their feedback. Everybody's got a different approach. Yeah. So you get lots of different pieces of feedback and ultimately have to come up with your own kind of style, I think, for the exam. I found our practice exams to time that we made for each other based on recalls, some of the most valuable preparation for the day because just moving through the questions to time and, you know, having to move past things that you don't know, recover from that and, and, and keep, keep your head calm was, uh, was ultimately very useful for the exam in, in practice. And getting used to being thrown curveball questions yep. or being interrupted and moved on because yes. we'd been told that the examiners are quite stressed about keeping you to time and so they will just keep prompting you and moving you forwards. And that was different than what we'd been doing in the study group, which was just letting each other chat away and figure out what we wanted to say and how we wanted to say it. But that obviously wasn't going to work for the exam, so getting really strict about that was really useful. Do you want to talk about what the structure of the exam is and those relive those three days. <laughs> relive that uh, torture. <laughs> so the clinical viva is run over three days, a Friday, Saturday and Sunday. For general surgery, we have two exams on the Friday. You start with an operative exam and then pathophysiology. On the Saturday, it's clinicals. So it was long clinical exam in the morning and the shorts in the afternoon and then the anatomy exam on the Sunday in the morning. So in terms of the operative surgery viva, this was a 30-minute viva. And the way it works is you all get there and there's different waves of candidates that go through. So if you're in the first wave, um, we had three waves, you do your exam and then you have to be in isolation until the third group has gone in so that you can't obviously tell people who are coming in what the exam is. And so you get allocated to a room, you go to the door, you meet your examiners outside the room and they shake your hand or say hello, introduce themselves and they only call you by your candidate number and they'll explain to you what's actually in each exam at the door and put you at ease. If you have a bit of time, some of us had a bit of a chat and then you'll go in and you sit down in a room and there's a Mac desktop computer sitting on the table and your examiners are sitting either side of you. For operative surgery, it was 30 minutes one 10-minute question, which was a long sort of case, and then five mini scenarios over 20 minutes. So they're sort of shorter scenarios. For the long 10-minute case, they took you through the scenario um, with a slideshow and the questions were on the slide and there might be clinical pictures or radiology and they ask you questions about making a diagnosis and what are you going to do for this patient and it's going to be an operation because it's the operative surgery viva and then they'll ask you how you do that and there might be a couple of different operations to describe in the long case. And then for the five mini scenarios, there's just a picture on the screen and the examiners ask you a question or ask you questions about it and you have to describe an operation. The second exam is the pathophysiology exam, which to be honest was the one that I was most worried about because it's something we don't really talk about that much 
in our clinical practice. It's technically pathophysiology and critical care and clinical reasoning. Um, so there's a lot of things that come under that umbrella, but it's a 40-minute exam. And so there's two 10-minute scenarios, so two 10-minute longer scenarios, and then four mini scenarios that are five minutes each. And similar thing, they take you through a slideshow with the questions on the screen for the longer scenarios, and then there's just a picture on the screen for the shorter ones. So the next day you start the morning with the long clinical vivas. So this is two questions in 40 minutes. So two 20 minute stations talking through two different scenarios. And they were quite long. So I didn't get through all of the slides for my um, first one either, which they said would probably happen. And then the second exam in the afternoon is the short clinical viva. And this is another 40 minute viva with five short cases. And these are clinical cases. So they ask you questions about history and exam and diagnosis and decision-making around what to actually do. And then on the Sunday morning was the anatomy exam, which was extremely fast. So it's a 30-minute exam with eight different questions. It used to be four radiology and four sort of anatomy or operative photos. Um, and I'm not sure if that actually happened in our exam. I'd probably have to go back and analyze it. But they basically show you a picture and they might ask you to point out certain structures or ask you what something is and then they ask you to describe some anatomy. Um, and that went extremely fast because with eight questions in 30 minutes or only a few minutes each, it just seemed to move really quickly. Do you want to reflect on how you felt about the Viva exam? Yeah, I found it a very... It was a real emotional roller coaster, the whole ordeal. I was in Melbourne in an apartment with nothing to do but my books, just worried, you know, thinking about the next exam. I just felt like I was always trying to prepare for the next exam, although that probably wasn't, wasn't useful. I found the manner of the examiners uh, very disarming and reassuring, and I was really impressed at how helpful they were during the exam, trying to get me to demonstrate my knowledge as much as I could. And when I did reach a mental block, they would try and facilitate me demonstrating further knowledge or or just moving me along. So I think that that was actually really nice. I think the biggest thing for this whole exam was just me learning how to manage my stress and anxieties around the exam and maintain calm essentially I felt like I lost all sense of objectivity about my performance because you walk into the room and then walk out of the room it's a total whirlwind Uh, you only remember the things that you weren't sure about or got stuck on and uh, you get in general no feedback from the examiners about how you really went so I found it difficult to draw a line under it and back it up with the next exam five times in a row and I think all of the strategies that you and I talked about before the exam uh, like mindfulness and uh, meditation and exercise and power posing were all actually really really key in um, maintaining my performance. I completely agree with what you've said about all of it. (laughs) It was so many ups and downs over the course of the weekend. And it's actually an extremely long time when you think about the fact that you've done a whole day and then you have to actually go home and you have to go to sleep and try to sleep and then get up and get ready and come back and do it all again. So I was not really mentally prepared for how much sitting around and waiting there was, which is 
just time to stew and think about things. So my approach really was that I was not going to reflect on the exam that I'd done. And that was extremely hard because everybody else is talking about it. So I tried to sit with people, especially when I was in the isolation area, waiting to come out that also had agreed that we wouldn't talk about the exam. And although it was really hard on my family, I didn't tell them how the exam was. I didn't talk about it because then even by talking about it, I would sort of go over it in my head and come up with things and reminisce on those things that I'd forgotten or couldn't, didn't think I did well. And I found that useful just so that I could keep my attention forwards. Um, But yeah, you're right. The things that did just jump into my head were all the things that I felt like I'd missed or done wrong. I was really, felt quite relieved after the first exam because I realized that it really was just what we'd been doing in shoots. It had seemed this big, scary thing that seemed like it was going to be special in some way, the way that they were going to ask you questions or show you things. It was going to be fancy or special. It was just a PowerPoint slide and surgeons asking questions like we'd done to each other, like we'd done in shoots. I think after that first exam, I felt quite calm because I thought, oh, well, we've done this before. This is the same thing we've always done. This is the way that we've prepared. We've done it the right way because this is how they're asking us questions. And I found the to and fro between you and the examiners actually easier than the written exam where you just had no feedback. You didn't have another prompt or another question to to push you on if you hadn't completely answered the question. You didn't know that in the written exam. You only had what you could do. So I quite liked that there was that two-way discussion almost with the examiners. I used to hate beforehand when everyone would tell you that it's just a conversation with colleagues. (laughs) Because it's not. You're not their colleague yet and you're pretending that you're their colleague and describing as I did in extremely flowery language how to do a uh, thoroglossal duct excision that I've never seen or done before and making them believe that I had. So it is a bit of a show, but it did feel relaxed in that way, almost like you're talking to your consultant um, like you do all the time. So I felt like the magic or the mystery of it was exploded after the first exam. Yeah. I did a lot of meditation. I did yoga each morning. I tried to eat well and you know, surround myself with people that were going to to build me up and not talk about the exam rather than people that were really, really stressed or maybe um, uh, wanted to talk about things I didn't want to talk about. And everybody's different and there may be people that need to relive it in order to get it out of their system and move it on. But that was my approach. And I felt pretty calm as the weekend went on because I felt like the preparation that we'd done actually had prepared us for the, for the Viva exams. Yeah. So in terms of some things that we had prepared for, I guess, for the operative vivas, you and I had talked about doing a little summary at the start of the operation with sort of the principles and the pitfalls, not calling them pitfalls, but for example, saying the principles of this operation are safe entry into the abdomen mobilization, resection with adequate margins and oncological resection, restoration of intestinal continuity and closure, being mindful not to injure the ureter or injure the duodenum, for example. And even though we'd practiced and practiced and practiced that, for my very first one, I totally forgot to do it (laughs) in the stress of the moment. I had to remind myself to do it. So um, there are some things that I sort of had planned to do that on the day I were just totally out the window. And I think a lot of the sort of structures that we'd practiced in terms of 
you know, breaking down potential diagnoses into benign and malignant or approaches to talking about pathophys or introductory sentences. I also didn't feel like I got to do that much of on the day just because of how fast moving the pace was. But I still think that was useful practice because it also helped a lot with the written questions where you did really have to use those structures and think more broadly. But I was, I guess, the pace of the clinic of the clinical viva was um, something I hadn't really prepared for. I think so much. I think the, it, I still found it very useful to have those sort of structures and frameworks because uh, in the situation where I didn't know something immediately or it didn't come to mind, I I did find falling back on those sorts of mechanisms very useful to 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 start talking. Was there any questions that you? just didn't know the answer to and what was your approach when that happened? I don't, I don't think there was anything that I, I didn't know the answer to in the Viva. The glomus tumour, did you know that? No, actually I didn't know that. <laughs> but that was, that, that, yeah, I just, well, I just said, I don't know what that is. I, um, I got asked what is the definition of sepsis and I knew the sepsis three criteria, but I couldn't remember that little catchphrase sentence that I'd practiced 6,000 times about what the actual one sentence definition of sepsis was. Mm. And I sort of floundered a little bit and apologized and stopped and took a breath and just gave a, a sort of a wider description of it rather than my nice one sentence. And then I just moved on and I just had to keep going. And then they asked me about sepsis three and I said, oh, okay, well, I can tell you all about that. So um, I think just as I had prepared beforehand I thought if if I can't answer something or I feel like I'm getting stuck I'm just going to stop take a breath acknowledge it move on and really the examiners were really good they just said don't worry about it and we just moved on I felt like one of my major tripping points was in the anatomy where it was looking at liver anatomy which I felt confident that I knew before the exam and I'd looked at lots of radiology and and gone over segmental anatomy of the liver, but uh, I found the CT that they put up very confusing. It was somehow both portal venous and arterial phase, and I got completely confused by the segmental anatomy of the liver, which threw me because I knew that I knew it. So I just had to do exactly what you said, take a moment to stop, pause. Uh, I just said I need a moment to collect my thoughts, and then I just started talking out loud with my reasoning as to how I was interpreting the scan to help me understand it. And everybody was confused by that CT scan. So I asked my examiner from that station who I met at the award ceremony, was it the portal vein or was it the hepatic veins? Because when I was looking at that picture, there was one little segment three branch that made me think that maybe it was the portal vein, but then it also looked like the three hepatic veins. And so I described both and what they would be if it was one or the other, but said I couldn't tell and why. And I asked him what it was and he said it was the portal vein, but he said everybody was confused. They knew that it was a bad photo and that they didn't mark anybody down for that. But he said somebody said the IVC was the hepatic vein. So he said that was an obvious error. So I think the examiners are also humans. They've seen the pictures for the first time that morning. They also know that it's a bit confusing. He said it was a funny level of funny exposure. And so you're not going to get marked down for that. So just speaking out loud about your reasoning and talking through the issue and just not dwelling on it and making sure when they move you on that you get moved on because there's lots more points to to be had and you're not going to fail for for that little, little thing yes. that you're getting stuck on. Yes. 
So to finish us off, do you want to tell us about the Monday? So the results for our exam were released on the Monday, so at one day after we finished the anatomy exam. And uh, I didn't feel that great coming out of the anatomy exam, so I found the wait quite daunting, kind of did my best to, to move through that. The expected schedule for the Monday was that results would be released online on the RACS portfolio at about 10.30 in the morning, and then successful candidates were invited to an awards uh, or presentation ceremony at a hotel in the city an hour later. Of course, that didn't happen. The exam results were released about 45 minutes to an hour later than they should have, about the same time the award ceremony was due to start. So that involved me just refreshing my computer constantly uh, within the RACS portfolio, looking for a one-word answer as to the result of my exam, which ultimately was a pass, which was uh, an inconceivable, (laughs) unbelievable uh, relief. And yeah, and then so jumped in an Uber and and went over to the uh, presentation ceremony. Yeah, and you get to meet all the examiners that are there and a lot of the ones that examined me came up to me, which was really lovely and say congratulations and you see all the people there that you know that have passed and um, your family can come. So it was a really nice time. Yeah, it was really lovely to see the genuine interest of the examiners. Um, This is something that they... They don't get paid for. They obviously care a lot about the process, and it was great to to debrief and and well and and chat about the uh, the exam being over. And I think a relief you use that word is really the overwhelming emotion that I felt in the last couple of weeks yeah. more than excitement or um, anything. Really, is just thank God it's over. Yeah. Because I found the whole process really all consuming, and I think that's the only way, at least, I could ingest the entire curriculum and keep it there was that it had to take up a lot of my attention Mm. constantly for that information Mm. to be available to me for that period of the exam and so for it to be over and to be able to let all of that go and suddenly have all this emotional energy and time and you know available to me just is such a relief it feels like a whole weight's lifted off my shoulders and it seems unbelievable now that it's just a hurdle when it was such a big part of my life for such a long time. Yeah, and a bittersweet day because, of course, a significant proportion of people who sit the exam don't get through and uh, it was hard to hear from my study group that not everyone passed and, you know, they're still studying for their for their next attempt now, which is, which is really hard, but, um, you know, not uncommon either. And uh, I know so many excellent surgeons who are mentors of mine who had to sit the exam at least twice, so... There was also that to deal with on the day. Mm. I think our pass rate was 62% overall. So, um, yeah, it's a big challenge for everyone involved, considering that everyone who's got to this point is very clever and very hardworking and has made such sacrifices to get to this point. I'm not going to ask you what's next. <laughs> what you're doing next year because I feel like that's yeah, all yeah, anybody's asking I'm me and neither of us really know. Yeah. <laughs> I think focusing on a bit more time with the family and a bit more of my other interests outside of surgery is going to be my priority for the, the foreseeable future. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this exam 
was, as you said, all-consuming and I was so lucky to have people close to me who understood that and uh, allowed me to neglect my relationships with them and neglect all other aspects of my life to try and get this done the first time, which, which fortunately I did and I'm very keen to get back to all the other things that I neglected over the last year and a bit and try and you know remember why why I went through this exam and remember what's what's great about surgery and try and uh, re-engage with my job a bit more because uh, it's pretty exhausting working studying and and getting ready for this exam Mm, it's a different feeling going to work now and it being about your future and what you're going to do rather than it all being about how is this applicable for the exam, which although that is does have to do with your future, it's a bit of a different focus. So yeah. it's been really nice, yeah, working for the last couple of weeks without that hanging over me. Well, thanks so much, Ben, for coming on and revisiting <laughs> this journey that we've yeah. been on for the last couple of years. I hope people found it useful and if you have any other questions that you have about the exam maybe send them through i'll try to get some other trainees together to do another chat about some other experiences so if you have any specific questions please send them and we'll try to chat about them as well and uh yeah all the best to everyone with their exam preparation for the future it's time to close up thanks for listening to first incision if you have any comments or feedback Send us a message at firstincisionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at First Incision. Happy studying! <laughs>